Well, welcome back to another episode of the Hubba Came podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. My name is Simon Osimo, and you can catch me every Thursday when I interview a guest who will share a story that will educate, inform or inspire. Now, the focus of today's podcast is violent video games and their effects on our kids. Now, if you're a parent like me, COVID has been a challenging time in my house, the biggest around screen time. And then you add on top of that, the violent video games that my two sons are playing. And I decided I want to record a podcast on the subject and talk to a subject matter expert that could help advise us parents as what are the dangers of these video games being desensitized? And then also, what can we be doing as parents to try and drag them away from those screens? So today I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. Now Dave has appeared on the Herbicane podcast before. Some of you may remember he is a former army ranger. He is an author. He is a scholar. His books are on the required reading list at West Point. He's known internationally for his knowledge on violent video games. He's also written two books on the subject, Stop Teaching Our Kids to Kill and Assassination Generation. And in 2019, he had the honour and privilege to brief the Vice President about the violent video games and how they're affecting our community. So I can't think of a better guest uh, to be joining me. We're going to dive into the video game industry, how powerful, how rich and how controlled it is. We're going to talk about how video games are rated, their effects on our kids, and Dave's going to share a couple of case studies where it links to violence. So if you're a parent, you are not going to want to miss this conversation. But before we dive into the content, I just want to remind you to please like, um, share, subscribe this material. It means so much to me when I get comments and get feedback. And tell me about the reflections in your own life. What, what do you think of some of the stories and um, how, how does it impact you? So without further ado, Let's dive into this week's content, talking to Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman and what I've titled Video Game Violence and the Effect It Has on Our Kids. Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, welcome back to the Who I Became podcast. Simon, it's always an honor to be on board with you today and uh, I think we got some great stuff for your listeners to tune into today. And uh, these, these are crazy times, and there's some great challenges. And as you said, one of our greatest challenges is being a good parent. For me, it's being a good grandfather. And uh, in the very near future, uh, you know, I, I may be looking at being a great grandfather. And the next generation of little ones grow up. And, and we hope we can be better people. We hope we can do a better job uh, across the years on, on maybe the most important thing we'll ever do. And that's raising that next generation. Yeah, and I think, as you just said, we have a fantastic subject to discuss today. And me and you talking offline, I've shared some of my own personal battles around video game violence with my two young sons. If people are listening, you know, put everything down that you're doing and stay focused on this conversation because Dave Grossman is going to share some great expertise and wisdom. And I want to first off start off by thanking you, Dave, because the podcast that we recorded last year between me and you it had over 10,000 views and downloads. So it's a great honor to have you on my show to share your, your wisdom. And um, that, that was a blessing for me. And, you know, you are one of the leading experts on today's topics of video game violence. Um, 
you know, as I mentioned, both my two young sons, seven and 10, play the game Fortnite. And I know that parents are going to get so much out of this conversation. They're going to be enriched and they're also going to be self-challenged by this. So before we dive in, for those that didn't hear the first podcast, I want to just share a little bit, um, Lieutenant Colonel, about who you are. I know you go by day, but I always call you Lieutenant Colonel. I'm very, very formal like that. But you are an internationally renowned speaker on the subject of mass violence. Uh, you will be author of two highly acclaimed books, but you've written several on killing on combat. You feature on the required reading list at West Point. Your work has been cited by the president. You train law enforcement across all states. You've completed extensive research on violent video games and how they play into aggressive behavior of our youth. And you've written two books specifically on that subject, Video Games, Assassin Generation, and Stop Teaching Our Kids uh, to Kill. And I know in 2019, you had the opportunity to brief the vice president on this subject. So I can't think of anyone else, Dave, to be talking to right now about video game violence than you. So again, thank you for joining me today. You bet. And you know, Simon, the, you know, the, the guy out front is, takes the first arrow. <laughs> you know? And I have been in front of this 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 challenge for uh, for over 20 years. I, my book uh, on combat came out in, but uh, my first book on killing came out in 1995. Uh, and so 25 years, I've been in the front lines of this, uh, of this challenge. And, uh, and the industry is, is vicious and powerful. They make vast amounts of money. The video game industry every year makes more money than all of the movie industry worldwide put together. Uh, they, uh, they, they, the games are designed to be addictive. They're designed to suck us in and put us in what's called a flow state, in which it becomes incapable of keeping track of time. These games are fine with adults, but the, the fact that they have systematically marketed the games to children is, is where we, we should be drawing the line. And so just understand that uh, they attack me, and you'll see an article about me, and it never mentions my books. It never mentions my peer-reviewed encyclopedia and journal entries. It never mentions my scholarly accreditation. So for, for that purpose, you know, I, I just let me know, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a, a life member of the American College of Forensic Examiners Institute. I'm a, uh, I, a, a life diplomate on the, uh, on the uh, American Board for Certification of Homeland Security. I've presented to the AMA, the APA, the American Academy of Pediatrics. I wrote the encyclopedia entry in my area of expertise four different times. Peer-reviewed journals include the Harvard Journal of Law and Public Policy. And you'll see an article about me, and they won't mention my books. Uh, Google Scholars says that On Killing has been cited over 2,900 times and scholarly works, really one of the great scholarly works of our time. And, and they won't even mention my books. They won't mention all this stuff. And when you see this article about me, you see this thing, you realize this is how twisted and sick the industry is. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about presenting both sides of the story. They don't care about saying, this guy's got the books, he's got the credentials, he's got the background. Now, what have they got? You know, who have they got? to turn around and, and, and to negate all of this. And so they, they, they misrepresent the individual, they misrepresent the situation. And do an online search for some of the stuff about me and look how they leave out all this stuff. Look what they don't mention. And that is representative 
of how twisted and sick the industry is overall. And, and really where we draw the line is harm to children. You know, in prison, it's uh, child abusers are, 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 are the lowest of the low. You know, you're, you're all in prison, but it was that, that child predator that, that they turn on. Uh, if, if we, we draw the line in society in, when it comes to harm to children. So let me lay a foundation for understanding where we're at here. I, I had the honor to, uh, to write the book, Assassination Generation. Look it up on Amazon, hundreds and hundreds of five-star reviews from doctors and experts. It's the definitive book. And it talks about in California, the California legislator, and this is when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor. California, the home of Silicon Valley, the home of Hollywood, overwhelmingly passed a law regulating children's access to violent video games. And the video game industry fought them all the way to the Supreme Court. And, and it's right here in the book. That they don't even want to. How many people even know about that Supreme Court decision? How many people don't know the background? But what happened was, uh, it, when we come to that Supreme Court decision, Justice Stephen Breyer, probably our most liberal justice, had page after page after page of scholarly research. He said they use these things to train the military and then how can they sell to children a claim that it's harmless? Uh, and all of these definitive studies and all of this definitive work. And, and, and he, the point is, he shouldn't have had to pull that up. The state of California should have done those things. My working theory has always been that the video game industry said, go ahead, pass this law, and then we'll take it to the Supreme Court and we'll intentionally set it up for failure. If you have a lawyer who defends your case and doesn't do anything, you're doomed. And that's what happened. And so Justice Stephen Breyer dissented, and, and Justice Clarence Thomas, probably almost conservative justice, dissented. I believe this is the only time Clarence Thomas and Stephen Breyer dissented on the same side. It's not a left-right issue. It's an informed ignorant issue. And Justice Clarence Thomas went in a totally different direction. He basically said, have you lost your collective minds? He said, never in a million years did the founding fathers say the First Amendment applies to children, especially not selling things to children, especially not selling garbage like this to children. He, he, he said, we're going to be coming back to this subject in a generation after paying a terrible, terrible, profound price. So we've got the most liberal and conservative justice dissenting, the others just rubber stamping what the industry had to say. And, and nobody stood up otherwise. The, the video game industry had a statement by 82 experts. And not a one of them had written a book on the topic. Not a one of them had scholarly research on the topic. Uh, these guys were not even remotely experts on the, the health of video games. They were journalism professors. Yeah, you know, they, they, were, they were media studies professors who committed academic malfeasance by saying the medical community, the psychiatric community, the psychological community, the pediatric community, they're all wrong. And, and in my expertise as a journalism professor, I can tell you that the entire medical community is wrong. Well, basically, Again, they got a Supreme Court decision 
and said they have a constitutional right to sell any game to any kid at any age. And the thing to understand about these games, right now, 200 million people are online playing games, and they're being tracked. Everything they do is being recorded in a computer algorithm. We do this, and 0.05% say, oh, good time to quit the game and save, so they don't do that anymore. We do this, and absolutely nobody quits the game. It, it is absolutely designed to be impossible to turn off. Adults are playing the game until they die. Adults are wearing diapers when they play the game because they mess themselves and wet themselves where they're sitting because they can't leave the game. People play these things until four o'clock in the morning and got no idea where the last six hours went. And children, when they play the game and you tell them to stop, they become violent. They become angry. And, and that's a good point with our grandchildren. Now, we didn't play the violent games, but with the grandchildren, we said, look at what you're doing right now. We told you to turn off the game. This is not you speaking. Look at the anger. Look at the way you're talking right now. That's not you. That's the game coming out of you. And that's what the game is doing to you. And you can't even quit the game with, without being angry and enraged. And, and, and this is a point of self-awareness. There's an outfit that I want to point people to right up front called ScreenStrong.com, S-C-R-E-E-N-S-T-R-O-N-G.com. And they have taken this from a medical addiction perspective. Cell phone addiction is real. You take it away from them and they go through withdrawal symptoms. And video game addiction is real. They've got a book, Will Your Gamers Survive College? And you send your kid off to college, and there's no mommy making them go to bed. There's no mommy telling them to turn off that video game. And they've got this incredibly addictive, seductive game on one hand, and the drudgery of school on the other hand. And you absolutely lose them. And they spin out into a life of failure. They failed at college uh, in the first semester. They, they zero out and they fail. And so they said, how do we have our gamer go to college and survive? And what can we do? How can we have our, our teen live without a cell phone? And I think the long-term dynamic of all of this down the road, Simon, is going to be a world in which you say children don't need this stuff. Every piece of technology had to be digested. We had automobiles for 50 years before somebody said, you know, kids shouldn't be driving these things. <laughs> and the industry embraced that. Didn't see the automobile industry saying, oh, kids should be able to drive cars, you know. They, they embraced that. The other model is cigarettes. For 100 years, cigarettes killed people for over a century. And you could market cigarettes to children. My dad died of heart disease as a result of a lifetime of smoking. He started smoking in 1940 when he was five years old. He plucked a nickel on the counter, bought his first pack of Bull Durham tobacco and rolling papers, and rolled his own cigarette and walked out the door. And at that time, for a five-year-old to smoke was a good thing. Hey, it's his money. Candy rots your teeth. Everybody knows that. Candy's bad for you. Candy rots your teeth. It's his money. 
He wants to buy tobacco. It's better than candy. Candy rots your teeth. Hey, you're a big guy now. You roll your own cigarette. Back then, you know, pre-rolled cigarettes with all that comedy. You rolled your own. See, you roll your own cigarettes. You're a big guy now. And 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 it was it was 55 years later, those cigarettes finally killed him. And the tobacco industry fought tooth and nail, decade after decade, over one thing, to sell tobacco to children. And so this is the evil of this industry, that they followed the tobacco industry path. And when tobacco kills you, it does it, it does it 60 years later. When media violence kills you, it does it now. And that brings us to another absolutely critical point. Medical technology is holding down the murder rate. The murder rate worldwide has exploded in spite of medical technology. Now, this is huge. You're going to see all kinds of articles talking about how the murder rate exploded. In Seattle, the murder rate's the highest it's been in over 20 years. Comparing the murder rate between now and 20 years ago is a lie because every year, medical technology saves more and more lives. So in around the year 1999, a UMass Harvard study definitively stated if we had 1960s level medical technology, the murder rate would be three to four times what it is. Between the 1960s and the 1990s, we cut murder to a quarter or a third of what it would otherwise be with medical technology. So it's like inflation. When you talk about money over any period of time, you've got to talk about inflation-adjusted dollars. When you talk about murders, you've got to talk about medically-adjusted murders. Now, I tell you that, talks are saving up more lives. Boom, you get it. It's immediately obvious. But why aren't we talking about this? Why don't the news talk about it? Why don't we see articles? And, and again, the leaps and bounds of medical technology between the 1990s and today are even greater. In 20 years of war, tourniquets alone, one medical expert says tourniquets alone may have cut the murder rate in half in just the last decade. Yeah. And, and understand, you know, you, you and I know about tourniquets. And if, if, a, if somebody slaps on a tourniquet and saves a life, we've prevented a murder. If just 20 to 30 people a day slap on a tourniquet, every cop carries tourniquets, every EMS carries tourniquets, civilians like you and I, we carry tourniquets everywhere. If just 20 to 30 people a day slap on a tourniquet and prevent a murder, we cut the murder rate in half. So just a couple of months ago, I trained FDNY, Fire Department in New York. One of their leaders said, I guarantee you, somewhere in New York, every day, 20 to 30 times. In New York alone, we're slapping on a tourniquet and preventing a murder. In New York alone, 20 to 30 times a day. The, the, the magnitude of the violence, the magnitude of the problem is being hidden intentionally, intentionally. And one of the big lies is, oh, it's only happened in America. No, it's not. It's not just in America. How's, how's all this stuff working out for Mexico? Yeah. But I show people some of the stuff going on out there. Here's Russia had their own Virginia Tech. How many heard about that? Look up College Massacre in Russia. We, we, we've, got, we've got 20 murdered in a college in Russia. They own Virginia Tech. Who heard about it? Look online, you'll find it. Italy. An immigrant bus driver hijacked a busload of 51 kids, soaked it with gas, and torched it off. 
were 51 kids on board. Now, the Italian police were brilliant. One of the kids called on the cell phone. He soaked us with gas. He says, we're going to die. They had a roadblock and fire trucks everywhere. Now, this, is a, this bus is a European-style bus. The windows are down low. They busted the windows. He yanked kids out of the windows. An American bus, I tell cops, you're going to have to park your vehicle beside the bus, get on the roof. Bus windows and yank kids out the windows. Not a single kid died. Many of them badly burned. Not a single kid died. Nobody heard about it. I trained six months after this incident. I trained FDMY, Fire Department New York. The chief of their counterterrorism division was there. And he never heard of it. Six months later, FDMY never heard about it. The things that are not being reported, the knife massacres across China. Oh, well, China hasn't got any guns, so they don't have a problem. Yes, they do. They got horrendous violence, knives, sticks, clubs, and they're going to daycares and elementary schools and committing mass murders in the daycares. So my wife said, hey, look, look, AP News, AP News talked about one of those China attacks. Finally, there it is. An attacker killed eight students, injured two others. But they don't say how. They, they don't say how. He used a knife. Did he shoot him? Did he blow him up? Did he poison him? They don't want to say. And so they censored it. Same AP article says that the similar thing happened in another incident a few months back. And once again, they won't say how it happened. They simply censored the news. Worldwide horrendous mass murders. Worldwide murder rate has exploded. And we're not hearing about it because it's all about selling a toxic, addictive substance to children. And again, all your listeners out there, with all my heart and soul, please read the book, Assassination Generation. Understand how it works. Understand what's going on and protect our children and protect our part of the world. You know, nationwide, kids are playing video games. They're sullen. They're surly. Their grades are bad. Their performance is bad. We take their video games, and there is a very dangerous period when they go through withdrawal symptoms. But a day or so later, they're like a new person. We yeah. get the games back, boom, they nosedive. Take them away, boom, they improve. After a couple of rides in that roller coaster, here's what you hear. Keep those games away from me. I don't like who I am when I play those games. Keep those games away from me. I don't like who I am. But this, this period of time when they go through withdrawal symptoms, throughout human history, patricide, the murder of your parents, murder, matricide, the murder of your mother, murder of your father, Throughout human history, for children to murder their parents is extraordinarily rare, amazingly rare. What we're seeing is case after case after case. The parents take the kid's video game and the kid murders their parents. And we're seeing this everywhere. And then we, we see this, this murder of little children because they're interrupting the video game. We got we got boyfriends, we got the fathers, we've we've got we've got older kids that are babysitting and the baby cries and interrupts their game. So they smother the baby. Case at the case, one detective came to me in tears. She said, just in the last six months across my part of our state, I got half a dozen cases of boyfriends and parents and, and babysitters murdering babies because they wouldn't stop crying and they interrupted their video games. She said, one case, this baby, the boyfriend said he dropped the baby. And the mother of the baby didn't want to believe that he had murdered that baby. But when they did the autopsy, they took the little baby's scalp and pulled it back. Indented in the skull was the perfect imprint of the base 
of a game play, a game device pounded into the baby's head. And, and this, this dynamic of the harm that's being done. And then we come to the rating systems. The industry said, we have a rating system and, and enforce the rating system, but they refuse to accept any law. Uh, and, and so Fortnite, Fortnite is the latest hyper addictive, hyper violent game. And Fortnite is rated T, 13 and above. Now, both of your kids are too young to play the game. You can tell them this is a. I'll, I'll hold my hands up, Dave. I'll hold my hands up. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, Simon, that's that's where we're at right now. It's bad. It's very bad. It's getting worse. Well, and it's interesting. You say, yeah. And it's interesting you say about the ratings because that is a good subject that I want us to, to move on to. And there's a couple of things. And firstly, what, what a great introduction. I mean, that is, you, you've taken us from the history of mass violence uh, surrounding um, kids. And I really want to tie that into video games a bit more in a few later questions. But, you know, a couple of citations from, from your books, from what I found, and a couple of what I've seen in my own life, when you said, they casually savage behavior can warp the mind. Uh, and then I think there's a second one where you said, not just conditioning children to be violent and seeing killing as acceptable, but teaching them the mechanisms of killing as well. And on both those quotes from your book, what I've actually seen in my own life is that within Fortnite, in one of the seasons, I asked my son and he couldn't remember because, as you said, it's an addictive game. They bring out a new season with, with, with new levels to keep them in. But at one point, there was a fire where a fire pit, Dave, and the kids had to take their character and stand in the fire pit to be recharged. So there was a couple of things I've been told there is that one, life is eternal. And the second is, if you stand in the fire pit, you're okay. Well, who in their right mind would encourage a child to stand inside a fire pit? And I spoke to my 10-year-old. He said, yeah, Dad, they, they took that out one of the, the seasons, most probably because they realized that, you know, obviously there was too many complaints from, from parents. But a second example I want to quickly give you before we move on to the ratings is there's a second game that my sons were, were trying to play before I saw it and then stopped them called Broken Bones. And a, and a person is stood at the top of a cliff and the object of a game is to throw yourself off the cliff and cause as much damage to the human body as possible. And you're rated by how much damage you cause. And then what happens when you get to the bottom, you play the game again. So on those, both of those two examples, there's clear signs where the game and industry are telling them behaviors, which are one, a what far removed from reality, but also there's this longevity of it's eternal. We just start another life and, and then and then come back. So it was really interesting seeing, reading your books and, and hearing you quote on that. I mean, I had to give two strong examples. I'm sure many other parents listening will have their own views on it, but maybe tell us a bit more about the, the rating system then as to how, how, how did the industry come up with what is acceptable, such as, you know, stand in a fire pit to be recharged and, and become re rejuvenated in the game? You know, uh, uh, kind of laying the foundation of that is the brain scan data. Now, around the world, the brain scan data is coming in. Violent visual imagery inflicted upon children and their body goes into fight or flight mode. We tell people, here's your kid's brain. Here's your kid's brain on video games and you completely rewire their brain through these violent visual imageries. Nobody should be telling adults what they can or cannot do. Nobody should be talking free speech. Nobody should be talking book burning. But violent visual imagery inflicted upon children. That's where we should be drawing the line. And across the board, 
But remember that uh, uh, that the industry was told, you have a rating, Congress told them, you design a rating system for your games, or we'll do it for you. So the video game industry got to make their own rating system. Now, this is an evil, absolutely ingenious, creative industry. One video game, uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto V, one video game the year it came out, made more money than the entire global music industry. One game made more money than every rock concert on the planet, every musician, every CD, every download on the planet. And so this industry is vastly wealthy, incredibly ingenious and creative and evil because they market this stuff to children like your kids. Is there something at the bottom of the screen that says this is a T-rated game, kids over thir- under 13 should not be playing this game? No. No, I've got to admit, Dave, until I met you, I didn't even know what T-rating meant. (laughs) I mean, here is the lie. The industry says we have a rating system, and we encourage enforcement of the rating system, but who even knows? It should be on the bottom of the screen. This is a T-rated game, 13 above only. They will never voluntarily do that. They say there's a rating system, then they bury it. I'm good at finding the ratings. I, I looked up Fortnite a while back took me 15 minutes to dig through and finally find out what the rating system was for the game. So Congress said, you do a rating system, we'll do it for you. And boy, did they do a system. Number one is A, uh, adults only, 18 and above. And to my knowledge, no game has ever been rated A for violence. There's no game violent enough to be rated A. Now, some of the gambling, the online gambling is rated A. Oh, yeah, you know, kids can't be gambling, right? We all agree on that. But boom. So the next rating is M, 17 and above. I, I, I talked to educators and mental health providers. said, everybody out there, tell me the great developmental leap that takes place between 17 and 18. The, the, the idea that 18-year-old to play the game, but this one's 17 and above. But what they call it was M. M stands for mature. Every kid's mature. I'm mature, Dad. You said I'm mature. I can play a mature game. It's the greatest insult. Oh, that's very immature. I'm disappointed in you. That's the greatest compliment. You are very mature. I'm very proud of you. They took the sickest game. They put a smoke screen out front. It's not A. It must be okay. And they gave it the most desirable possible term, mature. Every kid wants to be mature. The 17 and above. But then the next thing down is T, 13 and above. They want you to think PG-13. But it's not. The people who designed the rating said there's a hard line here at around 13 degrees of maturity and brain dynamics come into play, and kids below 13 should not be playing this this game. But the final rating is E. What's E stand for? Explicit. Everyone, five and above. You literally have to look at the fine print. They got a big E and then a little seven, a big E and a little five. Everyone five and above, everyone, seven and above. Imagine if the alcohol industry said, booze for the whole family, and then a little tiny 18 and above, yeah? We sold guns for everybody, a little tiny 18 and above, yeah? We, 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 this is sick. Just look at the readings. And again, all of this is covered in depth in my book, Assassination Generation. Please read, read and be knowledgeable and understand what's happening with this industry. Understand the research, the brain studies I showed you are in there. The fact that medical technology is holding down the murder rate and these mass murders in the school committed by children. 
have never happened in human history. Now they're everywhere. And it is worldwide. Mexico's had several mass murders by children. Brazil's had several. Finland's had three juvenile mass murders in the school committed by, by children. Uh, these crimes are worldwide. There was one in Moscow. Uh, and and, and we've, got, we've got these cases in China where they come to daycares in elementary school committing these mass murders. And I tell you what I believe is coming next time, and I pray that I'm wrong. We're going to see daycare massacres, what's left to stun us and shock us. We're going to see school bus massacres. We're going to see vehicles used as weapons of mass destruction, probably with those kids in front of the school. Uh, these crimes happen around the world. It's just a matter of time until they come to us. And there's measures we could be doing right now. Daycare massacres, school bus massacres, there's things we could be doing right now. Uh, a vehicle's weapon of mass murder. We worry about somebody coming to that school with a gun. Let's worry about somebody plowing through those kids in front of the school. Move those kids now. Put those ballers out now. If you were going to plow through those kids, what route would you take? Or you're some mom seeking off her ambient in the morning, hit the gas instead of the brake. What's the worst case scenario? Move those kids now. Don't wait for it to happen. But we live in denial. We're told these crimes aren't happening around the world when they are. Horrendous mass murders and evil crimes around the world aren't even being reported. The murder rate underrepresents the problem by orders of magnitude. And so we see this explosion of homicide in the last year. And let's talk about why there's been that homicide in the last year. This explosion of homicides in 2020 in almost every major city. And they say, well, this is how it's been since 1980. You know, that's a lie to compare with 1980s medical, whatever comparison they make, multiply by three, four, or five-fold, get an understanding that that's a more accurate representation. Medical technologies holding down the murder rate. And so the parents are truly on their own. They've been left with this evil industry with predatory products that put the kids in, 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 in this flow state. And here's one of the dynamics. We're in the middle of a worldwide epidemic of sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation creates impaired judgment. Being sleep deprived is like being drunk. The primary impact of sleep deprivation is not nodding off at the wheel. It's making bad decisions. There's a reason why truck drivers, airline pilots, air traffic controllers, and many, many other people required by law get enough sleep. If, if a trucker drives the rig off the road, the first thing the state trooper does is look at the logs and see if he's been sleeping. If an airline accident happens, we look at these pilots and make sure they've been getting enough sleep. And so the sleep deprivation in the military, some of the military research tells us, a sleep-deprived soldier can be up to five times more likely to take their life. Sleep deprivation is a key factor in suicides. Worldwide, suicides, teen suicides have exploded. Teenagers, 10, 11, 12-year-old, teenage girls' suicide rate and, and, uh, uh, has tripled per capita in the last decade in America. Nine, 10, 11, uh, 10, 11, 12-year-old, teenagers, female suicide rate in America has tripled per capita in the last decade. If we have kids, we should be scared sick about suicide. And the, one of the greatest predictors of suicide is sleep deprivation. Not just lack of sleep, but quality sleep. And when I train, I talk about sleeping in a truly dark room. Make the room as dark as you can. We're designed to sleep in the dark. 
And in the military, we pass out the sleep mask to everybody. Every, they, they'll sleep mask. You, you go to basic training now, you find them all there with their sleep masks on because they're being taught from the very beginning, you've got to sleep in a totally dark room. You've got to sleep in complete darkness. Now, babies are sloshing with melatonin. Babies can sleep anywhere. As we get older and older, the body produces less and less melatonin. By the time we become teenagers, it becomes very important to sleep in a totally dark room. So what do we do? We play video games all night long, and we sleep all day long. Not only have we messed up their sleep cycle, not only have we given them sleep deprivation, we've also given them bad quality sleep by sleeping during the day when the sun's coming in the window. We've got to sleep when it's dark. We've got to sleep at night. Teach your children to sleep in the dark. And, and by the time they become teenagers, it is essential. Sleep deprivation is a key factor in a worldwide epidemic of suicides. A cop came up to me during one of the breaks in my class. He said, I had a good girl. She was an A student. He said, she said, dad, it's embarrassing. You don't have to take my cell phone every night. You can trust me. So I trusted her, let her keep her cell phone. Then a while later, she took her life. He said, my little girl took her life. But we never knew the hell she was living in until we looked at the text messages on her cell phone. Night after night of ceaseless, relentless, vicious bullying. He said, I understood my little girl was bullied to death. What I didn't understand until now, she was sleep deprived and tormented and tortured to death in front of my eyes, and I let it happen. He said, I can't ignore that text message in the middle of the night. I have trouble turning off that addictive video game. How can we expect our kids to do it? He said, the one thing in earth I could do for my little girl was take her cell phone every night, let her turn off all the bad stuff in this world. So suicides have exploded, traffic deaths have exploded worldwide. Decade after decade, we brought traffic deaths down. Yeah, and I guess one of the interesting things, I want to cut in there and, and talk about yeah. that because yeah. it's, it's very clear, you know, the focus of our conversation is video games, but you rightly keep taking the conversation very wide because there's a lot of factors playing a part in this. And I guess one of them I want to get it, your experience and understanding on is that there's many parents like me out there that know their children are playing games that are younger. I mean, you just, you just called me out. Both my sons are playing a game which um, perhaps legally they shouldn't be, be playing. But also for someone like me, I said to you offline, you know, I spent uh, an entire lifetime protecting people against harm from those bad people in societies, be that an institution, be that individuals. You know, my, my role is to be a protector, to use your world to be that sheepdog. But also as a parent, I, I seem to maybe not turn the blind eye, but video games for parents seem to be, well, well, it's okay, what harm can really come from it? But as soon as I step out my front door yeah, and we go to the shops, I want to make sure they're safe. We get in the car, I want to drive safely to make sure they're safe. But have you ever sort of come up with any conclusion as to why as parents, when it comes to video games, we can most probably include violent movies and TV, but why do we sort of process that in a different way and it becomes more acceptable, but other harm in society, no, no, I want to keep that away from my, my children. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's really a great question because there has been a systematic desensitization. Yes, yes. Every, every generation sees worse and worse and worse. 
and, and we saw this when we were kids, so I'm okay. It shouldn't be a problem with them. You know, I, I drove a car when I was five years old. <laughs> I smoked cigarettes starting when I was five years old. Is that where you were from? It's mostly loud down there. So this desensitization, each generation, a creeping dynamic in which we accept worse and worse dynamics going on there. But there's another angle on all this, too, is, uh, is violence is the addictive ingredient. Visual violent imagery is is the addictive ingredient. We were not born with fangs or claws. Our survival weapon is our mind. Humans and primates are the only ones truly capable of monkey see, monkey do learning. Our great survival mechanism is that we can learn from other people's experiences. And so if there's violence in your environment and you're not immediately personally threatened, your survival demands that you watch. What's the one thing on the highway, other than a cop, guaranteed to slow everyone down? A wreck. The worse the wreck, the more horrendous the damage, the more we've got to look. It's the addictive ingredient. What's the one thing in a playground, guaranteed to draw every kid like a magnet? A fight. They will fight to see a fight. If there's violence in your environment and you're not immediately personally threatened, your survival demands that you watch. We are biologically primed to seek this survival data. Adults, we know it's just a movie, it's just a TV show. Children can't make that determination. At a biological level, these things are real to the children and they're drawn to it, they desire it, they fight for it, they need it. If there's violence happening, they've got to watch and be part of it the, the survival instinct inside of them is driving for that. Each biological organism has two drives. Number one, survive. And then number two, reproduce. Every microorganism, every plant, every living creature has two biological drives. Survive until you're old enough to reproduce. That's a basic definition of life, the biological drive. So survival is driving that child until they hit puberty. And then they seek pornography because that's the next thing that, that comes down there. And, and pornography, violence is to the five-year-old what pornography is to the 13-year-old. It is a biological dynamic. They will fight for it. They strive for it. They will hide. They will do whatever they need to to get to it. And the more they're exposed to it, the more they desire it. There is a world out there in which violence is happening. And my survival instinct tells me I need to be part of that world. But then you combine pornography and violence. And you got a toxic, toxic, horrendous ingredient for teenagers to start digesting. And they throw sex in there. They got the big boob babies. They got that. They got limited nudity. As you get further up in the games, they've got nudity woven in. They've got to... They, they've got sexuality woven into these games. You're completely integrated in at every level. They take these two biological desires, survive and reproduce, violence and sex. These are two biological dynamics, and they use those to make these games impossible to turn off. And they turn around and market these games to children of youngest ages. 
They accept no response. You know, they should have a little screen at the bottom of every page. This game is rated T. Children 13 and above should not play in the game. But when the state of California tried to make them do that, they fought all the way to the Supreme Court to sell any game, any kid at any age. This is a sick, twisted, evil industry. And, and this is what we're looking at right now. The price we're paying for that, the homicide rate has exploded. Murders have exploded across around the world. And, and, and the one thing that we as parents can control is protect our children. We can't change this industry right now, but we can turn this stuff off. We can protect our children. Uh, ScreenStrong.com, they have periodic air times when we go media-free. We turn off the cell phone. We turn off the TV. We turn off the video game. We do a week long, and we go screen-free. And the kids and the family say, that was awesome. It's amazing what it's like when we spend a week without video games, without TV. We played games. We did this. We did that. But the parents would rather not be spending that time playing board games with their kids. The parents would rather not be spending that time outside with the kids. The parents want to play their games. The parents want to get immersed in their world. What do I do when, when I want, to, I want to, to do things myself? And, and I know I can spend a week with my kid. It can be an incredibly productive week. I don't want my whole life to be like that. And here's this constant lure of this violent visual imagery. It's so easy to make that the babysitter. It's so easy to put them in front of it. It comes back to this, the single hardest and the single most important job anyone will ever face is to be a parent. It's hard. It's always been hard. It's harder now than it's ever been. It is the single greatest challenge we will ever face. And the entire industry, this evil, vastly wealthy, powerful industry is aligned to undermine us as parents in that simple drive of raising our children and keeping them safe. Yeah, and it's um, fascinating that you say that, and it's very true. I mean, I did a lot of research before our conversations because at a sort of a, a surface level, I knew that clearly everything that you said, one, I can see that my sons are becoming um, addicted to the game, but that's all they want to play. And, and secondly, I know you started a conversation saying there's some people that attack your research um, and, and your books. But again, I see the change in their behaviors when you tell them to stop or even during the game. Everyone's now got a headset on. I hear them talking to other people. You know, they're, they're on the verge of swearing. They're, they're being aggressive. I think for, it'd be very difficult, Dave, for any parent to disagree with some of the stuff that you're saying. They might say some of the mass murder and extreme violence that'll never be my child but i'm sure every parent says that afterwards and that they're looking for why but i think the, the foundation is very much there as you mentioned the pornography desensitizing the images that they're seeing the addictive nature the increase in violence this feeling that you know you can die in the game and then you can come back it is it's fascinating stuff and i did some research actually on what you're talking about in in california and what astonished me was actually when it got to the supreme court they mentioned about the the first amendment rights of free speech so but it shows how big and strong and powerful the video game industry is, but they managed to get up there and then said, well, we're, you know, this is under our free speech, right? If, we, if we're not allowed to sell these games, you're actually going against the, the First Amendment. I mean, um, what do you think can be done against the video industries? You know, it begins with education. 
and uh, you know, and TV turnoff, other dynamics. We, uh, when in my book, I talk about the TV turnoff curriculum that was pioneered by Stanford Med School, a ten-day TV turnoff. In upstate Michigan, entire schools were doing the ten-day TV turnoff. And uh, and what they found out was when we detox those kids for ten days, no TV, no movie, no video games. An entire school did it. They cut violence in half and controlled double-blind observation, a playground and cafeteria behavior. Now, the way they did this assessment was amazing. They had mothers who volunteered to keep track of the behavior in the playground and in the cafeteria. And all they were doing was counting the number of physical violent acts, laying hands on another, or verbal violent acts, screaming, shouting, otherwise aggressive behavior. So and they, bullying and physical violence. And, and like, you know, the mothers, like there was one, they wanted to jump in and stop. They, on the previous night, there had been some TV show where somebody was being dragged and kicked. And they were doing this, they're dragging some kid across the playground and the other kids are all kicking him. And the mothers wanted to jump in and stop him. We, this is evil. This is crazy. So then this is controlled double blind. The mothers don't know if it's before or after. Another group of mothers in a different school in a different time they're assessing after the 10-day TV turnoff. And there's half as much violence and half as much bullying and raised test scores double digits. Now, this kid right here, this kid with his, uh, with his brain dynamic going on right here, he's not a good student. He's not going to remember. He's not going to focus. He's not going to be able to hear or see. Their grades will, will pay a price. So we found out if we detox for 10 days, cut violence in half, Cut bullying in half. The bullying in our schools is impossible to comprehend. The bullying is bad. You know, one of the things parents can do that I recommend with all my heart is martial arts. The martial arts has so much positive dynamic that you can teach your children. Of all these school killers, only one in the video game history holds this kid up. Oh, he was a blue belt. He, he dabbled for two weeks. He made the first little incremental stage up, and then he dropped out. So only one of all these school killers have ever even touched the martial arts. Uh, the martial arts give discipline and structure and physical fitness. But um, one of the biggest martial arts schools in America is, is in New Jersey, upstate New Jersey. There they are. Uh, they're a family martial arts. And they've been doing the same curriculum to kids for 20 years. And they hit a point where the kids are no longer able to pass the belt tests. They're not focused. They're not, they're not able to pass the same test that kids have been doing for 20 years. And so the director of this had them do a purification ritual before their belt test. No TV, no movie, no video games for 10 days before the belt test. And kids go, oh, I'm in the middle of a purification ritual for my belt test. And kids got into this. They would do it. And boom, problem gone. Just detox those kids for 10 days before their belt test. Boom. Problem gone. Not only did they get the kids through the test, but they taught them that when you're playing these games, you're a different person. Your ability to focus, your ability to remember, your ability to perform is vastly reduced. So this detox dynamic, ScreenStrong.com has got periodic TV turn-off curriculum, but when entire schools turn it off and raise test scores double digits, and when we reduce the bullying, and the bullying is so bad, it's so toxic, our children are out there. 
and, and homeschooling and private schooling has become, people have, every American has a quality education available to their child, and yet millions are choosing to spend their own money, their own time to take kids out of the schools because the schools have become so toxic. And the bullying is so bad. It's far worse than we were kids. It just keeps getting worse. And of course, one of the things all the killers had in common was number one, they immerse themselves in media violence. And number two, they were bullied. The bullies have bullies. Everybody is bullying. And, and the bullying has created this toxic environment, cut violence in half, cut bullying in half, raised test scores, double digits in just 10 days. And so the capacity is there to turn this thing around very quickly. We've got to be educated. We've got to seek this. We've got to do those test shots with these kids, detox for 10 days. Have your kid turn it off. And, and this is fundamental with our grandkids. Look at what you're doing. Look at how you're acting. This is not you. This is the video game. You play those games, and then when it comes time to stop, you're, 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 you're angry and you're aggressive. Aren't you embarrassed by what you're doing right now? You're, not, you're a better person than that. And they go on that roller coaster ride. Every time we take it away, they become angry, said, look at what's happening here. And finally, they say, you know, there's a lot of games that aren't violent. There's a lot of games out there I can be playing that don't have these problems. And, and these are games we should be seeking. I'm a huge fan of the Civilization series of games and the incredible vast dynamics. There's, there's Sim City and other games we could be playing out there. It doesn't have that addictive violent ingredient that they're going to be seeking if it's there. But we take those violent games away from them. We focus on positive things. We limit the time. Uh, and, you know, and, and I tell people every generation becomes more addictive. We all remember Tetris. Oh, yeah, that's good. Tetris. Think Tetris on steroids with crack. And each generation game becomes more addictive. So even Tetris was horribly addictive. When you add that ingredient of violence to it, then it becomes biologically addictive. And, and we've got to limit their times. You know, our parents had to make us turn Tetris off, or I had to make my kids turn it off. So limit their time, strictly enforce the rating systems, and, and go through these detox dynamics. Make them conscious of what's happening. We made you turn off the game, and you're not a good person. Look how you're behaving. That's not you. That's the game doing this to you. I, I, I don't like who you are when you play those games. And you have them say, I don't like who I am. I play those games. That's what parents can do. In the end, we've got the control. We got the authority to, to do these kind of things and to control the environment. And, and now that our kids are homeschooling or we kids are home, even better opportunity to detox them. Don't put them in front of that toxic babysitter. Spend the time and resources yourself with them and, and limit your own time and watch for your own sleep deprivations. You play these games until three o'clock in the morning no idea where the last six hours went. One study says video games are responsible for at least 15% of all divorces in America. This spouse says, what's important, that game or your family? That's easy, divorce. Video games are responsible for at least 15% of all divorces in America. We got to look at ourselves and our lives and how we're spending our time uh, to more appropriately be parents and be, be partners and, and, and spouses. Yeah, and, and Dave, fascinating insight and true insight. Like I said, I think there's not many parents that wouldn't say that they don't see some of the behaviours that you talk about. You've mentioned sleep deprivation, um, you know, their sort of addictive uh, nature, how it can socially withdraw some children. I know that my oldest son during the summer when it's 
I can remember in the 80s, my mum would say, get out of the house. I don't want to see you till four or five and you're out with your friends. And here in Minnesota where I am, it's a nice sunny day and all they want to do is stay and play video games. Yeah. And it's a challenge to get them out. So like I said, you can find the research online that can negate some of the things you're saying. But I think every parent can raise their hand and say, I, I can see the things that Dave Grossman has yeah. just spoken about. But I, I want to end on a, an interesting subject. And maybe there's some things that you can't say. But I know that in 2019, it was a great honor for you to go and brief the vice president surrounding video games. I think you mentioned uh, one of your books during that conversation. Uh, maybe share what you can. How How is it seen surrounding sort of government surrounding the use of video games what what was that conversation like uh, yeah. maybe what's your perception as to how they perceive yeah. video violence? it's really hard in a short period of time to communicate uh, I, I think the seeds were established the book was given to him a very wise good man i think in the years to come he may read that book he may come to an understanding as our nation gets more and more violence his situation gets worse and worse I think we're going to turn towards these things. We've got to hold them out in awareness. We've got to, to make people understand these things. And, and again, where it comes home is, uh, is suicides, which have exploded and scared the daylights out of every parent, and traffic deaths. I had three teenage boys. Now I've got teenage grandchildren. But when I had three teenage boys, the number one killer of teenagers was traffic deaths. And so that was my number one concern. It was a logical, rational concern. And I made sure we didn't have a lot of resources at that point in our life, but I made sure they all had cars with airbags and they always had their seatbelt on and two out of three tested those airbags. But nobody ever told me the single most important thing I could give them is a good night's sleep before they get behind the wheel of a vehicle. Three major killers have exploded worldwide and they're all related to sleep deprivation and the video games and the cell phones are the new component in the sleep deprivation traffic deaths suicides and drug overdoses and the thing to understand is sleep deprivation creates chronic pain you have tendons and muscles never get a chance to fully relax doc i heard all the time give me a pill to fix it you don't need a pill you need more sleep we're in the middle of this epidemic of opiate overdoses. Why opiates? Prescription opiates have always been there. Why are they all and the kids turning to opiates as the drug of choice? Because this sleep deprivation creating chronic pain. Why isn't the medical community telling us these things? This, this industry gets in the way. Three major causes of death have exploded, especially with children. Suicides, traffic deaths, and drug overdoses. What is the new factor worldwide? Sleep deprivation. And the new factor causing that sleep deprivation are these incredibly addictive games. And each generation, as you said, Fortnite is a new season. They have to constantly evolve and become more addictive and more powerful. And this is the new factor. They will never tell you. You'll never see on television. It's after eight, your kid should be in bed right now. They will never tell you. Your children need 10 to eight hours of sleep every night. And if they're not getting that, we can pay a terrible price for suicides and traffic deaths and drug overdoses. The industry who's feeding this garbage to our children is simultaneously censoring anything that would lead us to turn this stuff off. So as we love our children, as we love our grandchildren, as we love our way of life, the one place where we can make a difference right now is to detox those kids. 
kick them out that door, make them go play in that backyard, boredom. I'm bored. Good. Because boredom is a drive state that makes you read and immerse yourself in reading. Boredom is a drive state that makes you play complex games. Boredom means that you're going to seek something to fill that time in a positive way. Play with toy soldiers, play toy games, play board games, uh, go out in the yard and dig and build a fort, go on the tree and build a tree house. Boredom is a drive state that made me learn to read and love reading. And I could spend days on end just sitting and reading and immersing myself in books. One of the best things your kids could ever do is to learn to escape inside of books. But if there's that addictive game, they're not going to read. They're going to be drawn to that game. And so these good things we can give to our children as we love them, kick them out that door. You know, I tell my cops, parks and playgrounds are essential to the health of a city. Can we all agree that parks and playgrounds are essential to the health of a city? So what's it mean? You have empty parks, empty playgrounds. You have a sick city. Every time you drive past a park that playground on a nice day, there's one or two lonely kids out there. You tell yourself, we have a sick city. There's thousands of kids sitting at home, watching TV, playing video games. Ought to be out in this park right now. Every time you drive past that park with one or two lonely kids, you tell yourself, we have a problem. That park should be packed full of kids out there having a life and, and, and exercising and doing all the good stuff they need to do not sitting in their house, and, and, and we need to be outside. Our wellness, our wellness, it, it, as, as human beings, we got to be outside. We can't just stay in the house. We can be in that backyard. We can be in that park. We, we, we've got to get those kids outside. Their wellness and their health and their future and their survival demands that we get these children a life and get them that sleep and get them away from this addictive stuff. As we love our children, as we love our way of life, there's things we can be doing starting right now yeah and I, I i take a lot away from the fact that even i mean you are a, a recognized international scholar around this subject and so many subjects so the fact that the vice president invited you to the white house and you're allowed to brief him on this subject uh gives me hope that this is something that's being looked at as a sort of a, a problem or an issue greater than us as parents but it's been a fascinating conversation because it's something for us as parents we are always battled with because as our conversation has shown we might just say it's just a video game but it goes so wide into so many different behaviors so lieutenant colonel dave grossman as always it's been an honor and a privilege to, to talk to you today and remind me what are the best ways for people to get hold of you if they want to learn more about your your readings and, and stuff that you you know uh, uh, i invented this scholarly field of killology you know, criminology is not about teaching people to be criminals. Killology is not about teaching people to kill. It's understanding the factors that empower and restrain killing in our society. And my website is killology.com, K-I-L-L-O-L-O-G-Y.com. Uh, I answer all the polite emails. Uh, uh, sometimes I get months behind in my emails. My books obviously go to amazon.com. Uh, on this subject, the book Assassination Generation, my book on killing, talks about how we had to train military and law enforcement to kill and how the video games do the same thing to our kids. You find them on Amazon. They're, they're truly perennial bestsellers in their fields doing amazing things. Uh, throw killology.com, uh, my books. Uh, uh, it, it's all there and a lot of other good stuff and resources that they can tap into. Screenstrong.com. 
uh, are doing amazing work on you know how how to make sure your gamer survives college, uh, how to make sure that your teenager can survive without a cell phone periodically, and, uh, and so good things out there that we can tap into. And uh, and I think there's a, there's a good podcast by a good friend of mine named Simon who's doing some really neat things about who I became, and follow him on his on his path, and uh, and I think we'll all be better people for that as well. Yeah, and I appreciate that, Dave. And like I said, you are the first returning guest and, and I'm honoured that you chose to come back because you have so much wisdom to, to share. And I'll, I'll also put all your details in the show notes so people can find you. So Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, I really appreciate your time today. You take care. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.